Part one of the Michael Seibel episode of the Series B show, hosted by me, Brandon Jones. I have to say, this is one of my favorite uh, episodes of the Series B show. Uh, Michael has a really interesting story. Um, in part one, he'll discuss his East Coast roots, uh, getting into and subsequently getting asked to leave Yale University, uh, how he connected with and ended up starting businesses with his friends from school, um, ultimately, uh, some of those bu- businesses selling for you know almost a billion dollars. Um, and the road trip that started it all. So enjoy. Okay, welcome to the Series B show. Very special guest with us today, Mr. Mike Seibel. Um, super long, awesome, incredible resume. But to, to, oh, give, the, to give the bullet points, um, one of the original co-founders of Justin TV, uh, later on kind of did a spinoff, Social Cam, which was acquired by Autodesk, where he was the CEO. Uh, co-founders also went on to found Twitch, which was sold to Amazon for almost a billion. And now he is a partner at YC. And you're only, how old are you? 33. 33. So that is a lot of uh, work in a very <laughs> short amount of time. But thank you for being on the show. I'm happy to be here. All right. So I feel like there's like a PayPal mafia thing going on between you guys and the co-founders. Um, we can get into like the whole kind of backstory about how you linked up with these folks, how you decided tech was kind of the route for you. Mm-hmm. But before we get into any of that, let's start with, you know, just the basics. Where are you from? Um, where did you go to school? Mm-hmm. And uh, a little bit about your background. Great. So um, I uh, grew up in Brooklyn uh, till I was nine. And then... Uh, what part of Brooklyn? Uh, what part of Brooklyn? Um, I grew up across the street from the Brooklyn Museum. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, my parents lied to get me into the elementary schools in Park Slope. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was called uh, King's Heights, oh. I think it was called. And um, so then we moved to New Jersey when I was nine. and um, We're in Jersey? East Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, okay. pretty close to Rutgers University in yep. Central Jersey. Yep. Um, have two siblings. Uh, my brother is 15 years younger than I am, and my sister is 10 years younger than I am. Uh, Jason and Nicole. Wow. And uh, was class 2000 high school. So in college, I went to Yale University. Um, I uh, was uh, asked to leave Yale um, because of poor grades, <laughs> and so um, I ended up having two senior years. One of the few people who basically gets kicked out of school in their senior year, which is awkward. But I would actually advise two seniors is better than double of any other year in college, <laughs> to be honest. Wait, let's, let's, let's backtrack just a little bit here. That was already meaty, so let's unpack that just a little bit. So you're obviously a brilliant student. You get into Yale, right? That's, that's no... It's okay, student. You're humble, <laughs> but uh, Yale is obviously the lead school. So you're an extremely bright guy. So the question becomes at Yale... When they asked you to, you know, come back for another year, yeah, um, what was that about? Was it about the transition to the college environment? Was it about just a lack of interest in the curriculum? What what elements would you say kind of contributed to that dynamic? I think it was um, a couple of things. One, I went to an extremely good high school, 
and the high school was was aggressively tracked, and so the smart kids were really really siloed away, and so. Um, my first impression of Yale is that I thought the kids around me would be smarter than they were. Mm. And um, not that the kids at Yale weren't smart, but basically anyone that I went to high school with and took AP classes with could have been a Yale classmate. And many of them did not get in. Mm. And so that was a little confusing at first. Uh, I think I expected to have to work harder. And when I didn't, that started to kind of undermine the whole philosophy of the place. Um, I think the second thing is I came and wanted to be a lawyer. And Aquin, in my school, um, there was a co- constitutional law curriculum and two years of con law classes that you could take. And I had taken them. And so I was very interested in taking more law classes. Um, but um, one, of course, like there's no pre-law program. I don't really believe in pre-law programs. But two, um, the classes that were offered were full of students that had no background. Hmm. And so it was, you know, it was just kind of frustrating rehashing kind of basic concepts um, and with people who, you know, had varying degrees of knowledge of what was going on. Right. So those were kind of like two pretty hard things early. Um, and then um, I started realizing that I was getting a lot more enjoyment um, and value out of making friends and um, which I didn't do a lot in high school and doing extracurriculars. Interesting. And so kind of that basically meant I started investing less and less and less time in, in classes. And, um, you know, it, it kind of at the end, it was weird because it was just like I didn't really see any value in the classes and, and, and that stuff at all. And I started actually pulling away from friends and stuff as well. Hmm. And so um, that resulted in bad enough grades where at the end of my first semester of my senior year, um, Yale basically said, hey, look, we'd like you to leave for a year and come back. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what they do. They don't like, they don't really have dropouts. <laughs> they have like a... It's Yale, of course. Yeah, yeah. You, you leave for a year and you come back right. with your head's on straight. And that was great. I think I needed some real world. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I came home and told my parents it was the most mad my parents have ever been in their entire <laughs> life at me. Right. And um, they told me, go back up. They said, you can't stay here. Mm-hmm. You can't go with family. You got to go back up, get a job, and find an apartment. And in New Haven. In New Haven, yeah. Okay. And so that was great. And I started actually having to do that stuff and kind of having to get my shit straight. And then um, it was crazy. Uh, I, I needed something to do for the fall. So basically that spring, while my friends were graduating, I was working and hanging out in New Haven. That summer I stayed there, and for the fall I needed something. And there was this great NPR show I used to listen to on um, government and constitutional law called Justice Talking. And I emailed them and said I wanted to work there as an intern. And I guess not that many people <laughs> do that. <laughs> very, very, very niche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very. And uh, this was, I think, this was before podcasts. But what they basically would, was producing were, were podcasts with these like very. Um, um, debatey style podcasts uh, on like major national issues. And so they made a fellowship for me. And wow. um, it was kind of crazy. Uh, they run out of UPenn. And so I was a Yale dropout, but I was a fellow at UPenn. <laughs> <laughs> and part of the deal was I got to help with this uh, constitutional law class. And the person who was running the program actually was a woman named Kitty Colbert, who um, was the lawyer who defended uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, wow. So deal. she was awesome. 
And she had a case called KCV Planned Parenthood that she won. And so it was great. I had a great time in um, Philly. Um, I kind of figured out what it was to live life. I started realizing, hey, I wanted to kind of continue this thing, which Mm -hmm. means I need to go. And if I don't like these classes, I got to do well at them. So then I went back to school and got straight A's and graduated. (laughs) (laughs) So that's interesting. So I think my wife, she also went to Yale. She came out in 03. And she actually went on to become a lawyer. And I felt a lot of it was for her. Her mom was a lawyer. She was a part of a law firm. And she kind of felt this, even before the independent thought came in, hey, being a lawyer is like the track to follow. Mm. For you, do you feel like that was kind of um, the case for you where you felt a certain level of pressure to focus on certain curriculums that may not have really interested you? Or do you think that everything there was good, but you weren't really excited about the academic experience as it was kind of set up? I, I loved constitutional law. If Yale had a constitutional law major, I probably good. would have been a lawyer right now. And, I, and honestly, I would have been shooting for the Supreme Court. Wow. Um, and so, not to say that they should have. <laughs> I don't think that there should exist a constitutional law. But that's how exciting under that major. You, you, you get but about yeah, that. I was, I was all in on that stuff. And so, um, no, and my parents did a really good job of not setting any expectations. I actually talked to my dad about this yesterday. Um, they didn't want to set any expectations for what we would do. Um, they always were like, you got to make your own plan. You got to do whatever you want to do and mm-hmm. game on. And so, no, I, it wasn't, um, I didn't feel like I was in love with, I, like I felt like my love for law and legal uh, constitutional law was organic. It wasn't. Got it. Didn't come from anywhere. So you mentioned extracurriculars and also making friends was where yeah. you really focused on in school. Yeah. Uh, what, what were some of the extracurriculars you were involved in? Um, so early on, I was involved in the Yale Political Union, which was really awesome. And I don't think I appreciated it enough. It was actually like an opportunity to have really intelligent debate about national issues. And like people just don't do that um, in their lives. And so... That was amazing. I also worked for this publication called The New Journal, which mm-hmm. was this awesome magazine that basically tried to cover um, issues that affected Yale and New Haven and the interaction. So, um, And if you've ever been to New fun. Haven, that, that is yeah. a very interesting dynamic. There's a lot of stuff going on there. And so it was great because I got to see amazing journalism from very young people yeah. covering things that they really cared about. And there was no compensation. It was all work. Uh, I was all, you know, volunteer. Um, I had to work uh, at the Black Student Alliance at Yale, and mm-hmm. that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, we helped organize uh, a major conference and um, just try to create a place that people felt kind of comfortable. Got it. Um, and then the last one um, was this community service program I, I, I helped organize, and it was, um, oh God, I'm embarrassed, I'm forgetting the <laughs> name. But basically, there was this community service uh, program that ran two weeks before Yale started. And like another way to get people who are students into the community learning about the community. And organizing that was great. It was kind of like running like a community service summer camp. So, so you built a lot of experience in an area that we'll get into a little bit later about what are you going to do with all those experiences. But let's take a quick detour mm-hmm. uh, around the friends piece. Because yeah. obviously the friends you met in school, um, ultimately, I mean, you guys are... I mean, maybe going going on fifteen years or so of, of friendship, and yeah, three four companies later, and <laughs> something so, like that. Yeah, 
tell me how, how you guys all kind of came together as, as be- becoming really close friends. Well, I, I developed kind of like two groups of friends in school. Um, and uh, the first group was really centered around um, uh, a set of roommates that I picked up my sophomore, junior, and then finally senior year. And um, our senior year, we were elected into this room called the God Quad in our dorm. <laughs> and that was basically the party suite. <laughs> and so we just spent a lot of time together. We built a bar together. We organized parties together. We were pretty nerdy. Um, but it was just kind of like the family away from home. Right. You know, that's what it became. And like those guys I still stay in touch with, like, you know, regularly. Right. Um, you know, the second group was when I came back. So I come back and now all my people are gone. Mm. And um, in my dorm, kind of the people who took over the God Quad, you know, and some of the, the couple friends that I had from the younger class kind of took me in. Mm. And when you come back, you're given a single. <laughs> and so, like, if you don't kind of get taken in, you're pretty lonely you're, you're experience, isolated. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was awesome. Like, and it was funny because when I first came back, my thought was like, I just got to keep my head down, graduate. And, you know, they'd invite me out to stuff and I'd be like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. And finally, I started going out and it was just like hmm. fully embraced. Nice. And so um, just a whole other set of awesome people um, they became friends with. And, you know, one of those people was a guy named Justin Kahn. The first time I remember Justin uh, was at a party that we were throwing um, my first New Year. He was notorious. I mean, we had a very well-stocked bar. But he was <laughs> it's still do, by the way. Yes. <laughs> but he was notorious for bringing his own drinks mm. just in case, you know, we weren't supplied. And, um, you know, we became fast friends uh, when I came back to school. He was in the God Quad right after mine. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's really unclear why we clicked. Just, just, it just happened. Yeah. And so and it's also interesting because, I mean, you're a, you're a poli sci major. Yeah. And these guys were engineering Justin majors. Justin was, was a physics major. Physics major. Yeah. Okay. Um, Still in the school of arts and sciences, I guess. Right. The same school? Yeah. I mean, like, Yale doesn't really, like, mm. it's not split that, that way. You all live together. So, um, yeah. Interesting. I guess we like drinking. <laughs> so tell me about how this transitioned from being kind of like your crew in school to yeah. you guys actually getting together and, and doing company and doing yeah. company. Yeah. So um, come end of second senior year, you know, I'm, I'm now on track to graduate and everything's going well and I have to figure out what I'm going to do. And I read this, uh, I read the autobiography of Bill Clinton um, and he mentioned working on a campaign during college, during mm. the summer. And I remember thinking, if I want to, I remember thinking, one, you know, I need to have a life plan. And I think during that time, I kind of developed my life plan of 20s money, 30s family, 40s politics. Wow. I was firmly not going to be a lawyer by that point. (laughs) And so I realized that if I was going to do politics, I really needed some experience in a campaign. And just not, not like a resume style thing, but just more to understand what that world is. Right. And when I kind of read Bill Clinton's book, I understood how viable it was to do that early. Because, you know, he basically described, you know, you don't get paid much, you live in a shitty place. It's like all the things that are like easy to do when you're moving from a dorm. That's right. Um, And so um, I kind of used the network that um, was at Yale, which which ended up being helpful, um, to get connected to a guy who basically helps um, campaigns set up staff. 
And so he was hired to hire the fundraising staff for a campaign out of uh, Baltimore, uh, a guy named Kwasi Mfume, who was running for Senate in Maryland. I, I, I remember Kwasi Mfume. Yeah. So he was the president of NAACP, and then he was a five-term yep. um, congressman out of Baltimore. And so basically, I'm invited to this group interview, which is one of the most awkward interviews I've ever been at. There's basically maybe 10 or 12 people in the room. There's this guy, Scott, who's leading the interview. The first half of the interview is teaching people how to fundraise, because we never fundraise. A bunch of people, like, we're all <laughs> 22, 23, right? Right. Then the second half of the interview is a one-on-one -on -one interview. And then at the end of the day, like, four people are hired, and the rest of the people are told to move on. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And then the next day, you're supposed to start fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of the four. <laughs> so I was one of the four, and I was hired to do national. Um, That's a big deal. So you actually got a good chunk of responsibility kind of coming out of the gate inexperienced. Theoretically, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, theoretically, I was supposed to be coordinating all the fundraisers that happened outside of Maryland. Wow. And um, because Infume had a kind of a national presence and, and NWSP was a national organization, the thought was there was a lot of money to raise national. The problem is, is that it turns out that training someone for three hours on how to be a fundraiser is, is insufficient. Yeah, it's mildly, <laughs> mildly insufficient. <laughs> So I basically worked for that campaign for about a year. Uh, about halfway through, I was promoted to director, finance director, so responsible for all fundraising everywhere. Um, we did horribly in terms of fundraising. Uh, we only raised a million dollars for the primary. Well, what um, is the, what? Give me like a. Our opponent raised four. Got it. Okay. Yes, and you know our opponent was the kind of DNC pick, mm -hmm. current senator Ben so Carson. It, it made sense. He had some infrastructure behind him. Yes, and we had me. <laughs> uh, and we, um, you know, as most people know, money runs the organization, but also runs the get out the vote and the TV ads. And whereas our opponent was able to get up on TV uh, early and often, we were not able to get on TV very much at all. And so um, that probably is, in the end, I mean, what, what got us. And so we, lose the, we lost the primary by three percentage points. Wow, it's a close race. Very close race. Um, and uh, in Maryland, whoever wins the Democratic primary basically wins. And so that's it, game over. So after a year of living in Baltimore, um, basically most of the staff is let go. And, you know, I so this is the 06 election year? 06 election year. Got yeah. it. Most of the staff's let go. I'm sticking around to kind of help thank donors and so on and so forth. So simultaneously, Justin and uh, his friend Emmett, during this past year, um, participated in this really weird program called Y Combinator. And it was the first year that Y Combinator was run. Dun, dun, dun. And they, uh, Emmett had went to um, Yale as well, and Justin and Emmett had been friends for a very long time. I think I probably met Emmett once or twice, but we were in different dorms, so I didn't know him very well. And they did this company called Kiko, which was an online calendar company, very, very similar to Google Calendar, mm. um, uh, that was released about six months before Google Calendar came out. Where is Justin from? Seattle. They're both from Seattle. So how, at what point did they decide tech was going to be kind of where they focus, being so they, that he was a physics major? Yeah, they started, so Emmett was CS, and it was funny because the way they would describe it is that Emmett would learn some web programming and then teach it to Justin. And then, <laughs> um, you know, the CS program at Yale is very theoretical. And right. so um, they, I think, started, I, we started hearing whispers during our senior year. And like, I think they had a beta 
uh, during our senior year that they were kind of hacking away on. Um, and then th- they both got job offers, and they both decided to do Y Combinator instead of doing the job wow. that they got. Similar path to what you did, which is, you know, you said, hey, when I have the least to lose, the, the less fixed costs that I'll ever have, et cetera, and now it's time the to, crazy to go thing. out and do something crazy. Yeah. Got it. Um, the only difference is I didn't have a job offer. <laughs> <laughs> Easier decision yeah, for you. I never signed a bonus <laughs> or anything. And so um, they decided to, to do YC. YC back then was in Boston and Cambridge. Really? I didn't know that. Yep. And so they move up to Boston. Boston um, during the summer is nice. During the fall and the winter yeah. is horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, Justin and I are friends, so we would see each other. Boston and Baltimore are not too far apart. A lot of Amtracking. Um, and long story short, after a year, they don't want to work in calendars anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google Calendar has come out, mm-hmm. and turns out that having calendar and email linked is a pretty big advantage. <laughs> so they decide to sell their company. And so they sell it on eBay. Interesting. Yeah. So first, in, are they the first people that have... They weren't the first, but they definitely <coughs> um, got a lot of press for it. Interesting. And um, it was cool because all of us, all of the kind of friends from college were all on the eBay page the last day, refreshing as the number <laughs> kept on going up. And so they sold the company for $258,000. Not bad. And that morning on eBay, it was only at fifty. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Value creation in, in a day. And it seemed, I mean, it seemed like a lot of money. I mean, like, holy crap. Um, and, and just so, an interesting idea, right? Like, how do you do due diligence for a company that's being sold over eBay? Like, it's crazy. How does that all work? Crazy. And so anyways, um, they knew they wanted to keep on doing startups. So basically they sold the, you know, the tech, but um, they want to get back to doing startups. So mm-hmm. they started coming, talking about ideas. And one of the ideas that they came up with was this idea of uh, Justin broadcasting his life 24-7. And um, they basically thought, like, this would be a cool way for people to kind of dig into, like, any specific person's life. And they called it life casting. And, you know, this could be a new form of media, a new form of entertainment. Is this before or after the movie Truman Show? After Truman Show, um, after uh, Matthew Mihane was in one of these as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's set in San Francisco, so it's very... Got it. Um, and so, um, yeah, they had this idea. And so um, they basically sold a lot of their stuff in Boston, and they decided to do a road trip across the country to start this next company. And so they emailed all the friends, and they said, hey, I'm new. we're doing this road trip. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I said... Um, Hey, I'd love to join you because you know I haven't been on vacation since the campaign, and being around a campaign office after you lost isn't fun. <laughs> so uh, they said sure. Now, what I didn't realize at the time is they put all of their belongings in the car. So when I asked for a seat in said car, they had to sell and/or throw away <laughs> a seat's worth of belongings. Um, but it is what it is. And so I asked them, "What's the plan?" And they're like, well, we're going to get on 80 and drive straight to San Francisco from New York. And I was like, why don't I plan a road trip? <laughs> so we had this great road trip. Um, we met up with some folks along the way. Um, it was amazing to see America. It was amazing to see how big America is. How long was the trip? Four and a half days. Wow. Yeah. With a lot of driving every day. This, was, this wasn't a... You know, this was kind of a drive for six to eight hours a day and then meet up with a friend in that place, go to dinner, crash with them, and then hit the road the next again. place. Yeah. Um, kind of great vetting 
in hindsight for like not being able to kill each other. You know, it's like three people in a car and together for a whole week and don't kill each other. It's probably a good sign. So we get to um, get to San Francisco. Um, it's October. It's midday. It's the day before the big Fleet Week celebration. And so the Blue Angels are doing practice runs wow. through the city. We're on Treasure Island um, looking at this, you know, a city that's like 80 degrees in October with fighter jets. And I'm just like, I've never seen this before. You're like, sold. Yeah, I've never been west of Kentucky. So, <laughs> this isn't, California is like a, a whole new thing. Um, unfortunately, we don't. We're not actually staying in California. Mm. We're staying with Justin's cousin in an extra bedroom in Mountain View. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we drive down, and, and basically the way that the trip worked was that it was like, you know, a week to get out there about, and then we're going to stay there. I was going to stay there for another week and then fly home. Got it. They were going to start the company. So you know, I'm sitting in Mountain View with them, and they're kind of doing their thing, and I'm sitting there basically twiddling my thumbs, and I think to myself, well, I should at least attempt to be helpful while I'm here. And so I help them set up a bank account so they can deposit their initial checks and I help them find a place to live uh, which ended up being the famous uh, Y scraper in um, North Beach in San Francisco mm-hmm. and then at the end of the trip it was my birthday October 7th and so I had some other friends in town as well and we all went out wine tasting at the end we went to somebody's house and we were hanging out and Justin buys me a uh, iPod I think I had mentioned to him at some point that I always wanted an iPod, but they kept on coming up with new ones. I didn't feel comfortable buying one. So he buys right. me an iPod, which is weird. Like, guys don't really trade gifts with each other. I never bought him a gift. I was, it was a little weird. And I was like, oh, huh, interesting. And then the next day, he drives me to the airport. And on the ride, he's like, uh, we want you to become a co-founder of Justin TV. And I, I, uh, i.e. the value you created as a business guy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how we can do those things ourselves, so no, can you come not, join it's us? Not we don't know how we can do those things, is that we don't want to do those things. <laughs> Got it. Um, and I said no. And Justin says, just think about it. And so I fly back to Baltimore, and I'm thinking about it. And um, at the same time, Justin Emmett sent this email to MIT's um, CS&E list. And they say, we need somebody to build us a live streaming video camera. Hmm. This is like before like 3G. Right. Uh, or like 3G was just coming. I think the 3G was in like right. beta at this point. This is like cutting edge stuff. Yeah, this is like borderline, it's impossible to do right. stuff. Right. And um, this guy named Kyle replied. And he sent them an email, a uh, 16-page PDF hmm. with CAD drawings of two versions of the camera he could build. One he could build in a month with $2,000. And wow. so I'm still thinking about it, and Justin emails me this PDF, and he's like, look, we got a guy to build a camera. And so stupid Michael, I am just turned 23. I'm sitting in Baltimore saying, well, these guys have done a startup before. They've raised $50,000, which seems like an infinite amount of money. Right. They have the guy who's going to build them a camera. <sighs> you know. And then the, the, I think the one thought, smart thought I had was, when is this ever going to happen again? Mm-hmm. When is your really, really good friend going to ask you to do a company again? Like all the things that I kind of were thinking about doing will all be there. Right, right. So uh, <coughs> two weeks later, I moved into the living room of the apartment that I found for them. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, I still remember the first night 
because I, I had two bags and that was all my stuff. The rest of it is still in the basement of right. an apartment in Baltimore. Right. To this right. day, it's right. still there. It's still there. And um, I remember because in this white scraper, there's a view of Alcatraz, but at night, the light shines in the window. Mm. So every like 10 seconds, there's this bright light that illuminates the entire living room. And I'm just sitting here like, I hope oh, I didn't wow. screw up. <laughs> so what do, your, what do your parents think at this point? Because <clears throat> they're like, oh, he's, you know, he's getting into the political thing. He's always been a political guy. He, uh, he just had a senior role in the campaign, even though the campaign wasn't successful. Yeah. Bright career path ahead. And then you say, hey, I'm moving to San Francisco to basically sleep in the living room and, and start a company from scratch. It's just, not any company. An online reality TV show. <laughs> Um, I had two advantages. One, you know, not a year or two years before, they were afraid I wasn't going to graduate from college. So it was like, <laughs> so they're like, okay, we're making yeah, progress. This isn't the worst news we've got <laughs> from you. You hedged. <laughs> Second, um, my brother and sister were still very young. Okay. And so I think that, you know, they were, they were not in kind of parachute parent mode. Got they it. were in, hey, you know, do your thing. Yeah. Spread your wings. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. My mom was a little annoyed that I was moving across the whole country, but, you know, it is what it is. And that concludes part one of the Michael Seibel episode of the Series B show. Definitely tune in to part two, where he gets into the nitty gritty of the ups and downs of his startup experience, uh, how he and his founders ultimately split up the company they founded into three separate companies. Uh, which had some really successful exits. So you don't want to miss out. Look forward to you tuning in.